they do a great job this morning? Thank you, worship team. <clears throat> you know, I'm just sitting there thinking, yeah, it's so hot outside, you can't do anything. And uh, it's just a joy to sit in a cool place, listen to somebody who can sing, uh, and just be together. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9, Proverbs chapter 9, which is pretty much in the middle of your Bible. As you turn there, I just want you to know that in the summer between sermon series, we, I know you remember this, but just in case one or two of you don't remember, we were in Luke all of last year, and we finished with Luke 9, and in September, I plan to start with Luke 10. But when we're in between these uh, sermon series, I like to revisit and refresh our memories on key passages of scriptures that we have read before, because there are certain passages, certain books of the Bible, you might say, that need to be a regular part of your diet, that even though you've read through them maybe in a Bible reading plan, there are certain passages you're going to come back to, or certain books, like the Psalms, like Proverbs, like the Gospels, not like... Leviticus. Uh, so, I mean, Leviticus is great, but it's just not the regular part of your diet. But Proverbs is part of that diet. And it was five years ago that we took a little deeper dive in Proverbs. So just for a couple of weeks, I want to revisit those and help you. Um, it's 31 chapters. So a lot of people have a habit of, and I would challenge you to make a habit at least one month to read a chapter every day. Uh, and some people just repeat that around the calendar year because it's these little bite-sized sort of nuggets of wisdom that sort of get lodged in your brain that'll help direct your path. Uh, one commentator said this about Proverbs or wisdom literature. Wisdom literature helps us live along the grain of the universe. So God has established a certain way that you're supposed to live. And you know this, if you have a, a fresh cut piece of wood, if you rub your hand along the grain, you're fine. But you run against the grain, that's where you get splinters. And so the wisdom literature is just to say, hey, God set the world up in a certain pattern. Here's how we should live, the wisdom literature tells us. And this is running our hand along the grain of the universe. He's... He's designed the world and ourselves to op operate in a particular way. Listen to Proverbs 8.35. When you find me, wisdom, you find life, real life, and God's good pleasure. But if you don't find me, or if you live against the grain, you damage or splinter your soul. Isn't that great? If you decide to live against the grain, and you can... But it's going to splinter your soul. So Proverbs, the wisdom literature, is telling us to, to live along the grain. An important distinction to make when we're reading through Proverbs is that Proverbs aren't promises. Say that with me. Proverbs aren't promises. You might say that Proverbs are probabilities. Meaning if you and I live along the grain, if we walk in the wisdom of Proverbs, then we'll probably have less problems and a more satisfying life. But we need to be careful to know that it, these are not promises. 
You might have heard someone say in a podcast or another preacher, wives, if you are an excellent wife, Proverbs 31, then your children will rise up and bless you and your husband will praise you because that's what it says. Proverbs 31, 29. Or parents, if you train up a child in the way they shall go, when they, are old, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And we might be led to believe that if we do our part, then God is going to deliver a wonderful life. It's easy to do. But Proverbs tells us what we might ordinarily expect, but it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. Because if you don't know that, if you're reading your Bible in a different way, then you can be very disappointed. You can be a very disappointed wife or parent and say, I mean, I did the best I could, but some parents and wives are going to be excellent and faithful, but because of sin, they're not going to get what the Proverbs say. That happens for some people, so I want to make sure we're clear about that. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to read 1 through 6 and then 13 through 18, and let's stand together as we read God's Word. Proverbs 9, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in the secret is pleasure. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Several years ago, two of my older sisters were traveling from Winston-Salem. It's a place we went to high school, and they were going to come to visit me in Wilmington. And the one that was driving, how should I say this, because it's getting recorded. Um, <clears throat> let's just say she's not a complex thinker. I, I mean, I love her. I love her to death. I mean, but, but she operates with very simple, concrete instructions. So this was before the GPS, you know, days. And uh, I said, 
it, it's going to be so simple for you, Diane, because she lives in she lives in Winston. I forty goes through Winston, and I said you just got to get on I forty East, and it it dumps you right into Wilmington, and I forty turns into College Road, and my neighborhood is you take a left off College Road, and that's where where my house is, so you can't miss it. It's just not possible to miss. As long as you get on I-40 East, which she knew, if you just keep going, you're going to land, you're going to drive right past to the neighborhood of my house. And so with that kind of confidence, my older sister decided to take a nap, the one not driving. And what I failed to recall is somewhere around Chapel Hill, I-40 East splits off from I-95 North. And if you're, not, if you're in the left two lanes, it can feel like you didn't make a turn, but you're not going to Wilmington anymore. <laughs> and so an uh, hour or so later, my older sister wakes up and sees road signs, Welcome to Virginia. <laughs> See, she never got off the highway, and she somehow missed the turn. I probably get a little too much joy out of telling that story <laughs> as their younger brother. But there are all kinds of reasons pe people take wrong turns in life. Maybe they're taking the wrong turn just because they're simple. They don't really realize they're heading in the wrong direction. Maybe they turn in the wrong direction because they're stubborn or prideful or foolish or lazy. There are all kinds of ways for you to steer your life in the wrong direction. And the first nine chapters of Proverbs are a series of exhortations from a father to a younger son saying, I know, I know. There's all kinds of ways to drive your life into the ditch. So chapter after chapter for nine chapters, he gives these exhortations. Son, don't stay on this road. These are the turns to make. Don't, don't turn here, turn here. And chapter 9 is his, his final speech. So this morning, the, the wise father, the writer of Proverbs, is asking us to take a look at our lives. To see where you might need to make a turn. Think, think. Is an area of my life where I've been traveling down an unwise road? Is there some area, whether I just, I didn't realize it first, but now I realize it, or maybe I was just prideful or foolish. I knew it wasn't a good decision at the moment, but I'm really getting into a dark place and I've got to make a turn. I was listening to a pastor on a podcast this week, and he was just feeling a lot of internal pressure. And he took a few moments just to think, where, where is this internal pressure coming from? And, and he sat down just for a few minutes, and he, he identified six different lies lodged in his soul. If people don't like my preaching, I must be terrible a terrible person. See, see, it's easy for a pastor, it's easy for all of us to have these little lies, these little one-liners, 
and they come up and cause us not to be able to breathe or not to be able to sleep or to feel that chest pressure. And there are these little lies. And, and if you don't time, take time to think, what is this message that I'm replaying in my head over and over? And it's like I'm taking the wrong turn. I'm taking the wrong road. So I'm asking you this morning to grab the steering wheel of your soul and to turn here. Maybe this is your very first time to Christ's community. We think this is a divine intersection. Your, your visit is the occasion for the Lord to finally address that, that one habit, that one weakness, that one lie that repeats in your mind where you've tried to convince yourself it's not a big deal. And you say that, but you know, you actually know it is a big deal. It's, it's, it's rotting out your soul and you can feel it. And you just want to pretend like it's not there, but it's like a bullet hole in the bottom of your lifeboat. And over time, water seeps in and your life sinks. So I want to do this this morning. I want to just make observations about this text and suggestions of turns you might need to take today. We're just going to make a few observations, and then I'm going to suggest some turns that you might take today. Three observations from the text. Number one, but notice both women, the, 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 the wise woman and the woman folly, they're both crying out from the high place in town. You see that? Verse 3, verse 14. So in biblical times, the highest place in town was a place of worship. So if you come to Jerusalem, the highest place in town is Solomon's temple. If you've ever seen a picture of Athens or been to Athens, the highest place in town is the Parthenon. It's the temple. So when you come into the city, you know what dominates the life of this city. So what they're asking here is not just, hey, here's some advice to follow. They're saying, this is what you're going to worship. This is going to dominate your life, either the life of wisdom or the life of foolishness. So these two women, they're calling out, from the highest places in town are code words for worship. Notice both women are calling out to the same two groups of people. Those who are simple and those who lack sense. Verse 4, verse 16. They look out and say, okay, here, there's two groups of people out here. There's the simple people and the people who lack sense. Simple or naive, a, a person who... Is easily led astray a person who should be in Wilmington, but they're in Virginia. I mean, they mean well, but they're just simple. They, ha they haven't figured it out. They just don't notice the turns they're supposed to take. And there are simple people, and the, the, the two people are calling out saying, turn here, you might miss it, turn here. Or those who lack sense. It's really a better way to say it is self-destructive. You know. But because of foolishness or anger, fear, anxiety, there's lots of peer pressure. I know I should go that way, Pastor Paul, but I'm going to go this way. Now, this is the hard part. The reason the women are calling out is because to, to, to these two kinds of people is because 
there are only two kinds of people. You hear that? So you're either simple or self-destructive. Those are, which one wants to raise their hand for which group? I mean, God doesn't come to the world and say, okay, there's some really smart people over here. They're sort of the better than average people. They're people in the middle of the bell curve. There's the simple, and then they're self-destructive. No, he casts out a net to people who are either simple or self-destructive. Third observation. Whichever turn you choose, there's a cost. There's a cost. You're going to turn one of these two ways. But there's a cost to each turn. The way of wisdom, verses 4 through 6. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. Let him turn here. Whoever, whoever, a wide open invitation. And if you turn here, you get, what does it say? Life and insight. Great, I'd love that. Sign me up. What's the cost? Verse 6. Leave your simple ways. Walk in a different way. See, anyone, anyone can turn here. But you must let go of your old ways. You just can't get on this road with all the baggage that you're currently carrying. So it does lead to life. It does lead to insight. But you're going to have to leave something on the side of the road. There are things and people you will have to turn away from if you want life. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? He meets Jesus and says, come follow me and you're going to have eternal life. And you think, what? I mean, he saw Jesus face to face. But what was his problem? I have a big old U-Haul I can't let go of, of stuff. And Jesus says, hey, you can't follow me and keep that. So he keeps driving down a road of self-destruction because he can't let go of something. What about you? Is there something you could think about? Maybe you just know it right away. I've got to let go of that. Could be a thing. It could be a person. Could be an activity. Could be someone you're following on your Instagram. Could be an emotion. I just can't, I can't go with Jesus and keep this in my soul or keep this as occupied as part of my, my heart or my mind. The way of folly. Turn in here, same invitation. Hey, anyone, anyone, any, any fool can turn in here. Well, what are the costs? Notice what it says, verse 16 through 18. It doesn't look like there are any costs. Whoa. No cost? No. Because on this road, you drink stolen water. What you feed your soul with is in secrets in the dark. Nobody's going to know. The woman finally noticed she's seductive. She, she leads you to believe that it's all sweetness and pleasure. Oh, commercials do such a great job of this, do they not? If you eat this bag of Oreos, you're going to be just fine. I mean, just fine. And it's all sweetness and pleasure until you get past that first row. And then you're like, I am just going to have a heart attack right now. I don't know this personally. I'm just saying people have told me these kinds of stories. 
And so you say, sign me up. No, no cost. But if you keep reading verse 18, you see there's a hook in the seductive bait. It, lead, it does lead somewhere to Sheol, the place of death or darkness. All of her guests get deposited there. No one escapes. The scary part is you might not see the cost until the end. It does feel good for a long time to go down this road for some of us, and then you find out when it's too late, I'm going to get deposited into death and darkness, and I don't have time to turn around. This is the final speech by this father to his son. You can feel the the urgency like a, a parent who's two weeks away from dropping their child off at college for the first time. They've got 10 more days. And they're just pouring it into him saying, hey, let's make sure you got these things down. And I, I want to speak to every high school graduate or person going to college. There's two choices to make. They'll make, they'll make the wise choice. It might feel good for a moment to make a foolish choice, but it'll be costly. Okay, those are just observations, three suggestions, three turns you might take, and this has to be the first turn. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Most of you know this, but let's just turn back a few pages. Probably the most famous verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 5. This is a turn you have to take. This is the first turn. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment to your bones great passage the first and most important turn any one of us can make is to turn and trust jesus with all of our heart that's the first turn turning is the first step jesus uses the same uh, uh idea when he uses the word repent you know what that means turn around he comes into the world and the first thing his fir- the very first word in his very first message is repent world you're going in the wrong direction. Turn around and follow me. You got to turn. But this is one of the, the biggest barriers for us turning to Jesus is we don't want to admit that we're simple and self-destructive. That's one of the biggest barriers. I just don't want to admit that I'm simple and self-destructive. I actually like leaning on my own understanding. I actually think I'm wise in my own eyes. See, that's very natural for me. I don't know about you. And it's very hard for me to say, well, no, I've got to lean on the Lord's understanding. I'm not actually wise. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for him than a fool. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, what? It leads to death. It just seems right, but it's, it's, it's Sheol, it's death, it's darkness. I once had a man tell me about a story about 
a friend of his who was an excavator. You know what that is? Big backhoe with this big shovel. And he was really great at his craft. And he said one day he went out to dig a hole in the backyard of a house for a pool. So he goes to the neighborhood. He kind of takes down the side fence. He gets his uh, excavator back there. They have the truck. And the guy just digs a perfect hole. This is, he's so good at it. And he's just standing there at the end of the day just admiring. I'm great at this. This is a great hole. These people are going to put the pool in there. He's so excited. And while he's admiring, true story, the owner of the house drives up. You know, you know right? I'll, I'll skip this illustration because you already know. What are you doing? I'm digging a beautiful hole for your pool. I didn't order a pool. Next door. Do you, do, you, do you understand it's possible for you to be digging a perfect hole that people would re- admire in the wrong place? You can do that with your whole life. This is perfect. Anyone who sees it is going to love it, except for the owner, the Lord. And he's going to come and say, you've been digging a perfectly good hole in the wrong place your whole life. That's very easy to do when you're leaning on your own understanding. When you're wise in your own eyes. So for some of us today, this is the first turn. Did you hear Hannah? I stepped off the throne. Then what did she say later? I wrestled it back. And maybe that's you today. When you were in seventh grade or sometime, you you truly gave your life to the Lord. You felt like you did. But somewhere you started wrestling it back. You started leaning in on your own understanding. You started acknowledging your ways. You thought you were wise and and you need to do what Hannah did and say, I got to get back off again. That's the first turn many of us need to take. The second turn I would suggest, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. Again, let's just look at that. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. For some, the turn you need to take is to turn away from being a spiritual sluggard. You, you were excited, you got on the right road, you made the right turn, but then you just slowed down for some, some reason. Seems right to you. But you just stop reading your Bible and you just stop praying and you go to church once a month, not every Sunday. It just, you just started slowing down. It's like you got in the sand somehow. Years ago, a person who previously, a couple who previously attended Christ Community Church would leave each week, and they would almost always greet me at the door. And they, they would say the kindest things about my sermons. 
and very emotionally impacted. Oh, Pastor Paul, I mean, oh, sometimes crying. That, it was like you were talking to me today. I, you, that hit home. I, I, I got to take that on. I got to do something about that week after week. And then after I got to know him, I thought, I, I do think some of these sermons do apply to you, actually. But as far as I could tell, I never saw them change. I never saw them change. I think maybe even the moment they meant well, but they just got in the car that was stuck in sand and they just couldn't somehow self-propel or they didn't have people around them who would say, can I help you see this pride in your life and how it's crippling your soul? the turn many of us need to take to address this spiritual laziness is, is to tackle some old sinful habit that you've refused to leave behind. Someone at once said that, you, you know, you can uh, be a Christian for 20 years but still be a one-year-old Christian. I mean, I really am a Christian, but it's like I'm an infant. I just, I never made any progress. I never got into a small group. I never got committed to something. I never had any accountability. So here I am 20 years later, I'm still a one-year-old Christian. Third turn some of us need to make today, Proverbs 24, 10 through 12, and we'll end here. 24, 10 if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. But if you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he, God, who weighs the heart, he knows it. Does not he who keeps watch over your soul, he knows it. And he will not repay man, will he, will he not pay, repay man according to his works? I don't have to tell you this, but we live in the day of adversity. And we must not say we did not know this. You've got to know it. And I'm sure you do. But this is the day, it's today. It's not next week. Today is the day of adversity for us. And we must not say, well, we, we just didn't know. We're in desperate need for strong, spiritually strong, mature men and women who can enter into a culture that's in adversity, in, in, in this adversity and in this darkness, but people who can come in and rescue people being taken away from death. But it's got to be somebody who has turned their lives over to the Lord or else they're going to get the hook and be seduced into the culture. Taking this turn to get involved with people who are headed toward death will be costly. How do we know this? We were headed for death. And somebody came and rescued us 
at great cost. So the rescuer is asking me, he's asking you, I need you to turn towards me. I need you to not lean on your own understanding. I need you to not think you're wise in your own eyes. I need you to turn here. I need you to take seriously the issues in your life that you see. I need you to take this road and not that road. I need you to sit down and think, what are the lies that I'm believing that are keeping me from being effective? I need you because I need to send you out there and rescue people who are on their way to death. But I need somebody who's strong enough, who's got their feet planted on the Lord Jesus Christ, who can actually help somebody else. Not a drowning person helping another drowning person. And is that you? could be could be for your neighbor could be for the friend you're going to make next year in school but what turn do you need to make first what needs to be addressed first I want you to know for sure you're not alone I'm not asking you to kind of just charge out and make it happen. I'm asking you to charge towards Jesus, the rescuer of souls. And as he fills up your cup, like he did with Hannah, then Hannah, can't you already see it right now? Aren't you glad these 40 students who are going to come on a Tuesday are going to first meet Hannah Redenball? Why? She's got her feet planted on Jesus Christ to people who are swimming in dark holes and need rescue. So let's go to the rescuer first. And take the top piece off and then peel back the purple. And we remember that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he gave his body, he gave his blood to say, do this in remembrance of me, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. Let's take and eat. I can hear one of my friends who usually tries to say something cheery to me after the sermons. Usually says, I feel like you beat me up during the sermons. And so I say to that friend without looking at him in the face right now, aren't you glad I'm back? I mean, aren't you glad <laughs> I'm back today? This is a very marshmallowy kind of sermon, very easy reentry. But he knows and you know, don't you? This is real. This isn't fluff. This is where we live our lives. And we need the Lord to speak into us because we're all facing these places and these temptations and these seductions to turn in a different way. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. And that we're not here just trying to listen to Paul or even a song or a testimony. We're here to hear from the Lord God Almighty who knows our name. 
And I pray that you have looked, Lord, into every soul and you have identified for every person here. You have said their name and you have said, turn here. Would you help us to turn to you so we could turn in that direction? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.